When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Seahawks improved to 4-2 and two on the season. A 20-10 to 10 home victory over the Cardinals. What did I like about the game? What didn't I like? There was a lot of both. But at the end of the day, pretty solid performance for the Seahawks. My five takeaways on the day after today on Seahawks Forever. Welcome to the Seahawks Forever podcast. In-depth analysis on everything Seahawks. And now, here's your host, Dan Viennes. Hey, can you tell that I went to the game? <laughs> voice is a little rough, as it should be, right? If, you, if your voice isn't a little bit... Uh, degraded the day after a game. Maybe you didn't quite do your part. Um, welcome to the show. I am Dan. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Like this video if you're watching on the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the channel. Be part of the community and join in the discussion. I always live premiere these episodes and follow them as they're premiering so we can get some live chat going. And if you're an audio podcast listener, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And uh, also download the PSF app. It's uh, it's a lot of fun. You get involved, part of the discussion during live streaming of games, of which Dana O'Gorman and I do most of the road games. And we're going to do a couple of home games as well. You can get involved. We can even uh, throw you in there on the video chat. It is free. It's the PSF app. You can download it for Android and iPhone. And one last thing, if you want to support the show, you like what I do, you can buy me a coffee. Link in the description. How'd you feel about yesterday's game? Let's hear it. You know, one thing that became evident, uh, and I think even if the Seahawks had made a play or two here and there and ended up winning the Cincinnati game, it would have been a classic case of one of those wins that doesn't feel that good because, you know, we like to nitpick and we want perfection. I read a story one time by Bill Simmons um, back after uh, he's, you know, Bill Simmons of the ringer now spent many, many years ESPN and he's a Boston guy. And once the, once the Red Sox had broken their curse and won that World Series, what was that, 2004, 2005? He said it just kind of changes everything after that. It takes some of the pressure off, but also your expectations change. And I definitely think that's happened here ever since the Super Bowl run with those back-to-back Super Bowl teams. Um, even winning doesn't feel as good as it should sometimes, right? This is one that... You know, I try to have better expectation going into the stadium, not get too amped up, not not be unrealistic because Arizona had some some reasons for us to be concerned, right? They've been competitive against some pretty solid teams and uh, and done some things. And they got some guys that can make some plays. And they got Buda Baker back in this game, he, a homecoming for him. And 
they got a quarterback that can run around, make plays with his legs, and he's got a strong arm too, and that causes problems for the Seahawks, causes problems for teams across the league. For the most part, though, this is one of those games that, you know, came back, sat with it for a little bit, watched the condensed replay of it today, and uh, some things often feel differently when you watch the replay. Kind of felt the same to me this time. About the same as it did in the stadium. Even even when they were down 10-7 in the second quarter, it felt like a pretty, I don't want to say safe. It just felt like a game that we were going to figure out a way to take over at some point, even with three turnovers. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about that. Coming up, but I want to give you my five takeaways. We're going to start with this one. Takeaway number one, when you look at this team and you define this team, who are they? What are they? It's defense, right? Defense, again, leads the way. It's uh, We've talked about this several times, but coming into the season, we thought the offense was going to carry things until the defense could gel. So many young players, guys coming back off injuries. You know, we were waiting for Jamal Adams. Weren't sure Jordan Brooks was going to be 100%. Weren't sure about Devin Witherspoon right out of the gate. Had some other injuries to deal with. What was the rebuilt defensive line going to look like? Now on a week-in, week-out basis, the defense gives the Seahawks a chance to win, don't they? It's kind of, I guess the, the Mariners' analogy would be that even when they are struggling to score runs, which has been a constant theme over the last several seasons, uh, the pitching, pitching gives them a chance every night to win a game. That's kind of the way it feels for the Seahawks now, especially with some of those uh, injuries up front still for the offense. And we'll touch on that in a little bit. That'll certainly be a focal point of the takeaways today, how they do. But it feels like that the offense hasn't really dialed things in yet, but the defense has and is starting to. And feels like, like Pete said last week, even coming off that impressive performance against the Bengals, said, we're not quite there yet. Feel like we're still coming together. These guys are learning to play together. Two weeks in a row now of this same group playing together for an entire game, minus Uchenna Nwosu, who had to leave with a, a strained peck. Pete didn't have any details on that today. We'll find out more on Wednesday about that uh, and some other injuries. But, you know, that's that might be one of their deepest personnel groupings on that, on that defense, right? Derek Hall picked up some of the slack after that. Uh, they could go to Tyreek Smith off the practice squad if they needed to, if if IR is something that might be in, in Nuosu's future. But again, they're just consistently, they're fast, they're aggressive, they're violent, they're flying around the field making plays, and it's everybody. That's the thing. They're not just relying on one or two guys. We don't even think about Draymond Jones anymore, do we? We don't talk about him, even though he was the highest paid free agent the Seahawks have ever brought in, over $50 million on that deal. And he's just kind of a lunchbox carrying blue collar, do the dirty work guy that's uh, cleaning some stuff up. And he's and he's he's a big part of that run defense, but he's not making the splashy plays. But just about everybody else is, and everyone's doing their job. There isn't a liability on that defense. They're consistently around the ball, and they're making plays on the ball. Jamal Adams running around in, in the against the run, against the pass, making tackles in the backfield, flying around. It's nice to see two games in a row where we can just kind of get comfortable with the idea that Jamal's going to be out there every snap now. He's made it through two games. 
clearly makes an impact on that defense, which kind of frees up Quandre Diggs. He's hitting guys, flying around and getting closer to the line of scrimmage, making some plays up there, not having to play, as Dana likes to say, babysitter as much on the back end. And those linebackers, Bobby Wagner, nine more tackles. And Jordan Brooks, especially there was a period in the second half where it felt like he was taking over the game. That It's amazing how quickly he came back from the ACL, but that even after a severe injury like that, and we're seeing a better version of Jordan Brooks. Certainly bodes well for him. He's in a contract year. And for the Seahawks who have committed to, you know, they said even though they declined the fifth-year option because of the uncertainty of the injury, they want him to be around long-term. Nine tackles for him yesterday. And K.J. Wright on his podcast said, best game he's ever seen Jordan Brooks play. Remember, K.J., there's some overlap there. K.J. played with him as a rookie. That's some high praise. Uh, As a whole, this defense against a Cardinals offense that was ranked middle of the pack, right around where the Seahawks were in a lot of key categories in the league. They've consistently moved the ball. Seahawks, four sacks, six tackles for loss, eight passes defensed, and eight more quarterback hits. They were just everywhere. Uh, There was just the one drive that they allowed in the second quarter. The uh, eight, the touchdown drive by the Cardinals, eight plays, 80 yards, but really that was two big plays. It was sort of a busted uh, run assignment on the long run by DeMarcado. And then, uh, and then the touchdown run, the 25-yarder by Josh Dobbs, was just a little bit of a blown assignment and some really sloppy tackling. But also, I kind of chalked that one up to, if you remember on the play before, Devin Witherspoon intercepts the ball in the end zone, drives over. And then there's a bunch of penalties on both teams. But um, uh, two of them, one was on the Cardinals, and offset. There was a roughing the passer. There was a couple of things that happened after the play. But... Uh, Big interception by Devin Witherspoon on that play before any of those penalty flags were thrown. If that had held up, obviously, they would have gotten a stop there. And it felt like there was just a little bit of a letdown on the very next play. Dobbs runs in for the touchdown. Uh, But they were outstanding. Then the other three points came off a turnover. And they just stood up time and time again. Just, Just really, really impressive and fun to watch. And it bodes well heading into this week's game against Cleveland, a a Cleveland Browns team that have been relying on defense themselves. And they end up uh, winning a thriller yesterday. I've got it here somewhere. Was it 38-36, I think? With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Um, they win, a, they win a, a wild one against the, the Colts. Uh, but that that defense that had been so vaunted coming into that game, they give up 300 yards passing to passing to Gardner Minshew and 170 on the ground to Jerome Ford and Kareem Hunt. Seahawks defense might be facing P.J. Walker again as the starting quarterback in place of Deshaun Watson. He's day-to-day with that shoulder. Not sure if he's going to play. 
if he is, how sharp he's going to be. So that, again, that defense just just really gives them a chance in every game. There's some big tests coming up. You see that Baltimore offense, how they were operating yesterday, just absolutely dominating the Lions. Who really saw that coming? So some some cool matchups coming up ahead. Uh, sucks to have Nuosu out. Hopefully it's a week-to-week thing and not something that will require IR. But again, they've got some depth there. Uh, Daryl Taylor made some plays yesterday. It was flying around. He Obviously, he would be the first man up uh, in place of Nuosu. And then uh, Derek Hall, the rookie, will get some key snaps. Um, my next takeaway, the offensive line once again had to shuffle, once again facing a lot of injuries. Thought they held up pretty well. Thought they held up pretty darn well. Um, just gave up two sacks and three quarterback hits to that Cardinals defense. Granted, a, a defense not, certainly not as talented as the one they saw the week before or even the week before that against the Giants. Um, but they just allowed the two sacks and the three quarterback hits, and they paved the way for Ken Walker to run for 100 yards, 105 yards and 26 carries, four-yard average. Despite the fact that the Cardinals knew they were going to run it most of the time. We'll touch on that in a minute. A little spoiler alert. Uh, there was some shifting. Evan Brown was out for this game, so we saw a full game out of the rookie Olu Oluwatimi. And um, I think I'm going to do my breakdown on him this week and take a closer look at the All-22 with him. Just tried to focus on him a couple times watching the condensed replay, and he did some really, really cool things. You could see how advanced and experienced he is. Um, but uh, the biggest change was shifting Stone Forsyth over to right tackle in place of Jake Kern, who was active for the game, but not 100% with that ankle. And, and and I had speculated even before that, once Charles Cross came back, if that would be a possibility. Forsyth has played some reps on the right side, started a game there last year due to injury. He's just more, you can see it on tape, he's, he's more athletic than Kern. Much better as a pass protector. Um, Kern, the better run blocker. Forsyth, the better pass protector. And, uh, and we saw that yesterday a number of times. Um, they really held up well for Gino. Good performance from the offensive line. Uh, my next takeaway, the tight ends are back. We didn't know where they went. <laughs> Way too much 11 personnel against the Bengals after they had had so much success with 12 and 13 personnel, two and three tight end sets. Um, in fact, in, in, in one metric going into the Cincinnati game, they were number one in the NFL in efficiency with uh, 12 personnel on the field, and yet they totally went away from it, trusted that offensive line too much, left Jake Curran on an island too often, even after he had to have his ankle taped up. Uh, that felt like a mistake that they didn't adapt to or, or adjust to uh, quickly enough or well enough during the Cincinnati game. But we saw that yesterday. I think Forsyth was an upgrade over Curran at right tackle, and lots and lots and lots of two and three tight end formations. Saw that a lot, helped out. Uh, as far as the blocking goes and just um, just giving a different look to the defense, kind of giving them more to, to have to prepare for. Uh, good to see. Uh, not a big impact in the passing game for the tight ends. They combined for uh, three for 51. Uh, Will Disley hasn't been involved in the passing game at all. Has been strictly um, essentially a run blocker the last couple of weeks. But on one particular drive, uh, back-to-back big throws to Colby Parkinson and Noah Fant um, led to a score. And uh, I just thought I thought that was really notable from the beginning. I think Shane Waldron's at his best when he's using those tight ends. 
Meanwhile, out on the edge, without DK Metcalf playing in this game, and it sounds like there's no guarantee he's going to come back next week, that that, that rib and, and core injury that, that he had already been dealing with, and then we saw him in some pain, he aggravated in the second half of the Cincinnati game. He's been playing through it. He's a tough dude. A lot of DK, <laughs> a lot of DK shade this week, and, and he's got some detractors among the fan base, and a lot of people speculating we should we should trade him and that Bobo's a better option anyway, and we don't need him. And dude plays hurt and he's tough and he's a weapon. And this team is better when he's on the field, but they certainly showed off. Uh, my third takeaway is, uh, or fourth takeaway, I'm sorry. Wide receiver depth is pretty legit on this team and is about to get better because D. Eskridge is able to come off suspension this week. Don't know if there's going to be targets for him, how they're going to use him but just another dynamic, explosive, athletic playmaker to add to the mix. Um, JSN, another solid game from him. His first NFL touchdown, wide open on a post play. In fact, he was so open, Geno threw it behind him. Um, there was a drive in the second half where he had back-to-back, a 12 and a 13-yard reception. Uh, but the combination of Jake Bobo and Jackson Smith and Jigba Eight catches for 124 yards and two touchdowns between the two of them. Um, Bobo was our highest graded player yesterday, according to PFF. He is the number one highest graded receiver as a run blocker in the NFL and number two in the entire NFL behind a guard. So so he's an outstanding run blocker, does the dirty work, and did this. Did the Tyler Lockett toe drag to perfection. Tyler also four catches, 38 yards. A couple of first downs, a couple of third down conversions. Uh, unbelievable play by Bobo there. Gino just trusting him to go up and make a play. Thought Gino was a little late on the throw, but Bobo came down with it. Watching it live, and that, that happens right in the corner of the end zone where my seats are. That's the same corner where the tip happen Sherman to Malcolm, Malcolm Smith um, it didn't look like it live and then you could see really just a little side note they got away from this for a couple of years I thought the NFL was a little shy about letting people behind the scenes but they did the under the hood thing in the stadium for a while got away from it now they're back to it you know letting the fans see those replays and see what the officials are looking at and the stop start and the different angles. And once you saw that he got that toe down first, really, really impressive. And Pete talked about it in his coach's show today about the body control that he has. He basically, he, he said something like anything you put in front of Jake Bobo, he's going to, he's going to accomplish. Um, saw him get open again, using his quickness and uh, just his ability to control his body kind of reminds me a little bit of a, a bigger Steve Largent. That, you know, Steve Largen didn't clock the best 40 time. He was a 4-6-4-7 guy. Bobo notoriously ran that 4-9 at his pro day, although he says he's more of a legit 4-7. He was dealing with some injuries then. Um, but his quickness and his ability to control his body puts him in a position to make plays. And he catches everything. You know, you think about a healthy DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Jake Bobo, JSN, those tight ends. You know, when they do get Abraham Lucas back, when they get that offensive line to 100%, maybe they can do some more things with four wide receivers. 
instead of all those tight ends when they can trust the offensive line a little bit more. Really, really stress the defense. And my fifth takeaway is a negative one. I've been pretty critical of Shane Waldron the last couple of weeks. Really, the season has been a mixed bag for him. I don't feel like he's made the next step. Saw some things last year. Felt like he was coming into his own as a play caller and a play designer. This year, there just seems to be a lot of inconsistency. And last week, I think a lot of that could be attributed to the poor performance of the offensive line. But a good offensive coordinator can make up for that with play design, formations, motion, play action, and play calling, and how you sequence play calling, right? What's the basic primary job of an offensive coordinator? It's, it's, it's to produce positive yards. It's to consistently produce drives and, and produce an efficient and effective offense. And you do that in large part by playing to your strengths, staying away from your weaknesses, but, but keeping teams off guard. So they just don't know what's coming. It's what the Rams do so well. It's what we thought we were going to get from Waldron because he brought some of that McVay system where they run the same play, but out of different formations. And then conversely, out of the same formations, they run a bunch of different plays. You just don't know what's coming. Well, in this game, I thought they were clearly trying to, I'm going to use air quotes on this, establish the run. And I thought, to a fault. Now I know that sounds that some of you might be <laughs> pulling your hair out, but Dan, Kenneth Walker ran for a hundred yards and they had a couple good drives and they put 20 points on the board, even though they turned the ball over three times and they won the game, right? They won it by two scores and it was in very little doubt in the fourth quarter. I get it. But when you look at what's coming up on the schedule, you have to look at it with a critical eye and how much how much better does it have to be for us to be able to compete against Philadelphia, Baltimore, the 49ers, the Rams in that rematch, which is looming larger. And I'll talk about that in a minute and kind of the context of that. 24 times in this game, the Seahawks had a first down. 16 of those were designed runs. Two-thirds of their play calls yesterday on first down were runs. Half of those times when they failed to get a first down on that first down run, they followed it up with another run. Okay? So again, 24 first downs, 16 designed runs on those plays, 16 runs to eight passes, and then eight times in this game they ran on first and second down back-to-back. I said it in the stadium to my buddy, Leo, shout out to Leo, who went to the game with me, that it kind of reminded me of that Chris Carson Dallas wildcard playoff loss where they were just determined to run the football and they ran it to a fault even though Russell was making some plays. And they were so afraid of the Dallas pass rush that they, they got ultra conservative. And it was good enough to win yesterday, certainly. Gino had a game manager type of day. I thought he was mostly good. Thought he was mostly good. 18 out of 24, 212 yards, two touchdowns, interception. The interception was bad. Got away with another one that might have been a pick six. It bounced off the chest of a corner of a ball he was trying to force into JSN. 113 passer rating. Um, didn't have any of those big obscene misses that we saw against the Bengals. Got, felt like he got rid of the ball quicker. 
Felt like he made the right decisions, made the right progressions, came off his read sometimes, went to his second and third read. Thought he was accurate. Uh, the, the interception was bad. <laughs> he was trying to force the ball, running to his left, throwing back right, trying to force the ball into Bobo. And if he had thrown it up, given Bobo a chance to make a play vertically, it might have had a chance or at least not been an interception, but he tried to gun it in there, uh, even though Bobo was double covered. Uh, that wasn't good. But for the most part, I thought Gino was solid. I just, you know, they again, we're not taking deep shots down the field like we did last year. And they ran the ball so conservatively. Now, here's the good news. To their credit, uh, late in the game, when they needed to, um, they ran the ball, you know, five, six times to Ken Walker in that drive. And he had runs of four, six, seven yards. He had a loss of two, but a couple of threes and fours in there. They were able to run the ball late in the game when the Cardinals knew they were going to run the ball to try and kill the clock. And they were able to do it pretty effectively with that scrambled offensive line. There weren't a lot of negative plays in the running game. So all in all, I think they accomplished what they set out to accomplish run the football better. Although, uh, the best drive of the day, I thought, <laughs> started with three straight passes and had an eight to two pass run ratio. Nine plays, 76 yards. They chewed up four minutes and 30 seconds and that was the one that ended with the 18-yard touchdown to Bobo. Best, best drive of the day, they come out throwing the football. I think it put the Cardinals on their heels and then they mixed in a couple of runs. Um, Seahawks traditionally, over the last four or five years have been among the top five, six teams in the NFL as far as early down pass rate goes. So this was against the grain for them. But against better defenses, of which the Browns may be one, the Ravens, 49ers coming up, Eagles, you know, you got to mix it up. Got to mix it up. Keep guessing. Hard to know what they're going to be facing this week against the Eagles again. Don't know if Deshaun Watson's going to play. He's day-to-day. P.J. Walker was not great yesterday. I think it was 14 out of 30. Um, Really wasn't that dangerous in the passing game. Ended up with a passer rating of 51, I believe. Um, Defense for the Browns scored a touchdown in this one. But they allowed, as I said earlier, 300 yards to Minshew and 170 on the ground to Jerome Ford, the rookie. Remember, Nick Chubb hurt out. They bring Kareem Hunt back uh, off the street. And those two combined for uh, 170 yards. Um, So a solid running attack. We know how good their offensive line is. And that's really the basis of that team. Um, Not quite sure what we're going to be faced with. Seahawks can't turn the ball over. Certainly. I think, you know, I'm I'm sitting here singing a much cheerier tune if they don't turn it over. And all three phases of the game, too. They... DJ Dallas with the fumble on the punt return, Gino with the pick, and then a and then a fumbled snap also that gave the Cardinals a short field. But the Seahawks were able to hold. I think that was ended up being the missed Matt Prater field goal, if I'm not mistaken. But as we look ahead now, these next few weeks, right? Browns, Ravens, and then I think it's home commanders and at Rams, right? I don't have it in front of me. They're keeping pace. They're they're keeping the leaders in the NFC within distance in the loss column just one game behind the eagles just one game behind the 49ers who play the vikings in minnesota tonight they're dealing with some injuries no debo samuel does sound like christian mccaffrey's going to play and brock purdy's fine um so 
you know, if the if obviously if the Niners, because they haven't had their bye yet, if they lose tonight, the Seahawks should be within a half game. But here's a question I'm going to pose as I wrap things up today. And I want your answer in the comments because I think I'll build a show about it later in the week. Who do you think this team is and what are your expectations of them? This would be a good a good question to do a, a, a late night live stream on, right? And get your live comments. Who do you think this team is and what are your expectations of them? Because I'll be honest with you, I'll, I'll, I'll give away my answer right now. The longer they can hang around and keep the 49ers within their sights, the better, right? Obviously in November, we play them twice in a three-week period. We can make something happen. But I'm not sure that's where this team is in my mind right now. I think it's an ascending team with a ton of young talent that I'm excited about the bulk of the roster. I have questions about the quarterback position moving forward. I have questions about the offensive coordinator. But I do absolutely feel like in this NFC that they are a legitimate playoff contender that should be a wild card team. I believe that. At this point, six games in, if they fail to make the playoffs, I'll be disappointed. When you look at the other teams we're competing against, I think this is this is where you start to get a picture of, of what we're facing. Because the other wildcard teams, Cowboys are 4-2. and two. Don't know what to make of that team. They've been wildly inconsistent, right? They get blown out by the Cardinals. Then they put a couple of decent wins together. And then we're talking, uh, they're the only other team that's 4-2. and two. Then we're talking about a bunch of three-win teams. Tampa Bay, 3-3. Three and three. The Saints, 3-4. and four. The Rams, 3-4. and four. That's why I said earlier, that rematch in L.A. looming larger every day. That could be for wildcard position. And then after that, it drops to the two-win teams. The Vikings pull off an upset, up, upset tonight at home. They can move to 3-4. and four. Hard to see that happening without Justin Jefferson, though. Um, against the 49ers team that's probably going to be out to prove that last week's loss to the Browns was a fluke. And so I think that's where they are. How do you feel? What do you think about what you saw yesterday? What do you expect to see from them moving forward? What do you want to see this week against the Browns? I'll do a full proper statistical matchup breakdown of this uh, Browns game later in the week. Try to get somebody from the Browns' perspective on the show as well, too. Haven't lined that up yet. And it's throwback week. Who are you going to be wearing? Who are you going to be wearing? I'll let you know on my Browns show because I'll wear my throwback jersey when I record that. Follow me on Twitter at Seahawks Forever. Subscribe to the YouTube channel and the audio podcast. Buy me a coffee at the link in the description if you like what I do. Until next time, have a great week, everybody. Be back with more content later in the week. Thank you so much for the support and for listening and watching the show. I am Dan. We'll see you soon. Forever and always. Go Hawks. Go Hawks.